The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I stand by the power of his blood. I rejoice today. I've had a wonderful Thanksgiving time with my Lord and my Savior. I enjoyed a wonderful meal with him. And then so many of you sent such kind encouragement and love. Thank you. It meant everything to me. We have but one life to live. 
And then we face the grave. And then we face the judgment. I'm going to share with you again today, verse by verse, 2 Peter, the first chapter. But first, let me read to you from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, I begin in chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be certain. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it's said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine upon you. Or in the Tyndall Bible, it translates it this way. Stand up, stand up from death, and Christ shall give you light. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. That's Ephesians, parts of chapter 4 and chapter 5 from the book of Ephesians.
I'm very concerned. Because I know that events are going to transpire in December, January, February, March, that will absolutely shock America. We are going to see unfolding before us things that you cannot imagine. Destruction. Despair. Anguish of heart and mind. We're going to see events transpire that will so shock America that everyone is going to have to make a very clear choice about where they stand. Do they stand with the powers of darkness or are they going to side with Jesus Christ? With light. Already the tentacles of the great tribulation and the beast power arise over America and over Europe and over the whole world. I am stunned by what I see taking place in Europe, in Australia, in Austria. I'm stunned at how quickly America is sliding into complete tyranny and the destruction of a free and open society. The word, it's an old-fashioned word. But America, you have been bamboozled. You've been deceived. You've been fooled. It's not what it looks like. It's power. It's control. It's demonic. And we as Christians, living in this wicked age, in this wicked world, have to make a decision about where we stand. Now, the early church, and particularly during the life of Peter, and particularly at the end of his life, lives in a very wicked, evil, dangerous culture where it is no longer acceptable to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Peter writes to us this second book of Peter, this second epistle. He writes identifying the fact that he will soon die. And these are his last words, his last will and testament to the church. And it's obviously moved upon by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every word is packed with meaning. We need to unpack it. We need to understand it. And I confess to you, many times I have read First and Second Peter. And for the most part, through the years, I didn't understand what was being said. And so I'd read it and pass over it. Yeah, sounds good. But it didn't bite me. I want to share with you the the real meanings found in Second Peter. Now, I started this in our last live broadcast last Wednesday. I want to just do a very quick recap of that. If you've not heard that broadcast, please go back and listen to it again or listen for the first time. But I want to look at some words very quickly with you. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Very clearly, the Apostle Peter is calling Jesus Christ God. He is equal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's saying that through the righteousness of our God, Jesus, we have received a faith as precious as Peter's, 
Now, righteousness came by the law. But in the new covenant, righteousness comes from an absolutely new source. It comes straight from the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Father. Righteousness means innocence. Dikasune. Now we've we've looked at this in the book of Romans, and there it is often mistranslated as justified, a legal forensic term meaning your sins are forgiven, but there's no change in you. And that's utterly incorrect. The word righteousness was an old English word. It meant to make holy. So through this righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, we have received a faith. We have been made holy. He said the faith that we have received, that is the doctrine, that is the experience, is the same as Peter had. That is what he expects of you and me. I've not yet grown into that, but by God's grace, I'm growing into it very rapidly now. Verse 2, grace and peace. Grace is unmerited favor. And peace, that is provision, is yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, it's that word, knowledge, that we need to look at and review very quickly. Knowledge, gnosis. Some people pronounce it gnosis, but in the Greek, the G is silent. Gnosis. The gnosis of God? No, that's not what it says. Gnosis is where we get the word Knowledge and Gnostic. Gnosticism was a religion that was very destructive to the early church. The Apostle John wrote an entire book, the first epistle of John, to counter Gnosticism. Just very briefly, what did Gnosticism believe and teach? Well, there was a strong faction of Gnosticism that taught that you did not need any Christ because they said, on the inner soul, you are pure gold. It is the outward flesh that is wicked. And they made a separation between the outward life and the inward life. And you recognize when I say that, that the large majority of the American Christian Church has bought lock, stock, and barrel into Gnosticism, believing that you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, but you are not changed. You are still a sinning person on the outside, but you're saved because you're covered by the grace of God. That's a Gnostic belief. It's not a Christian belief. It's not found in the Scriptures. but it's widely taught and believed. It is a different gospel than what the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, what they brought to us. Now it says, we have received a faith through the knowledge of of God. Not Gnosis. Gnosis is self-centered. It's about me. And we look at the world and we see everything we see based on what we have been taught, what we have experienced, what we know. And we center our life around what we think we know. Well, this is not the word that's being used in the Greek. The word being used in the Greek is epignosis. Epignosis. It is an exact kind of knowledge. 
it is one that is very involved with the other. In other words, that the knowledge that we have comes from an intimate experience of Jesus Christ as we learn from him what is real. And so it's a total change of viewpoint instead of looking at the world by what I want or the lust of my flesh. Now, please understand, you can lust for things in your flesh that we would not consider sin. You can lust for success. You can lust for money. You can lust for a certain kind of food. You can lust for a certain kind of behavior. You can lust for sexual impurity. You can lust for a debauchery life, a wicked life. It's lust is simply what the human spirit desires. You see, the human spirit has been under the power of darkness. The human spirit has been given oneness with the devil. And every person who walks by the power of the human spirit will die. We live one time and then we face the judgment. And only those who have been filled with the Spirit of God, who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, not in some pretend way, but in a real, regenerative, total change way. And so what Peter is talking about here is the divine knowledge where we have been utterly changed, and we now look at the world from God's perspective. And we see an evil world. Now, it's not God's purpose to take us out of the world yet. He wants us to live in the world, but not of the world. Jesus said that. He wants us in the world to call the wicked to the gift of God, which is redemption by Christ Jesus. So, his divine power, verse 3, has given to us everything we need for life and godliness through our epignosis of him, our knowledge our experiential knowledge with Jesus, where we now have been transformed, we've been born from above, we are now looking at the world through the eyes of Jesus. And now there is no longer the selfishness of our heart. We are no longer a consumer, we are now a producer in the kingdom of God. I'll show you that in just a moment who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given to us his very great and precious promises. In the Old Covenant, there were incredible promises made to Abraham and to Moses. Well, when we come to the New Covenant, we also have incredible, wonderful promises given to us. Read Ephesians, the first chapter, read Mark 11. Read Luke 11. The promises are all through the scriptures. Precious promises. Precious in the sense that not sentimental promises, but promises that cost God a lot to make. It cost him his life on the cross. So through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires or caused by the lust of your heart. In other words, we're called to leave behind all lust of the human heart. Now you know that the human heart, by very nature, constantly wants to reach out and grab what it wants for itself. We want to reach out and grab that new car. 
We want to reach out and grab that relationship. We want to reach out and grab that beautiful opportunity in business where we can make money. The human heart gauges everything based on what its desires are. One woman that I have heard about quit her job, now works on the road, and her whole purpose for being is to enjoy nature. She worships nature. That is her God. And the experience of worshiping nature is not for salvation. It is out of the pain, the loneliness, the anguish of her own heart. And she finds solace in the mountains and by the sea and hiking and having adventures by herself. All of this is healing for her soul. But it's not unto salvation. The desires and the lusts of the human heart, although perhaps to our mind being quite innocent, are not innocent. We are called to enter into the full knowledge of God. The the epignosis that guards us from air, that we walk in Jesus. Now, nature can very well be a second book that teaches us about Jesus if the Holy Spirit dwells with us. We see the evil law of survival of the fittest in nature. That's not how God created the world. The lamb and the lion were to lay down together, not provide a feast for the lion. But also in nature, we see the handiwork of God. We see both good and evil in nature. Nature knows no mercy. Nature operates by the law. If you violate the law of nature, you can very easily die. So let's not romanticize nature. Let's recognize what it is. Let's not romanticize our own desires. Let's not be sentimental about our own desires. We have a very short period of time to learn about Jesus Christ, to learn to gain the epignos, the certain knowledge of who Jesus is. And if you don't use this opportunity to search the scriptures and to pray and to repent of all evil and to repent of that wickedness you find in your heart, if you don't use this time to prepare for eternity, you will never enter the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you will be lost. The normal person will not enter heaven because the normal person is one with the kingdom of darkness. And there's no salvation in the kingdom of darkness. There's no freedom in the kingdom of darkness. Freedom comes in Jesus Christ as we begin to explore and know and understand who he is, how he operates, all the All the wisdom of the ages is found in Jesus Christ. He is the creator God of heaven and earth. He is the creator of you. He designed you. He is your healer. He is your restorer. He is your atoning sacrifice. So I just jotted down a few of the things that that I think about as the great promises of God. First, he promised to redeem us by his blood. He gave us the gift of repentance to soften our hearts through his kindness and his love. 
He promised to us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He would not leave us as orphans. He promised us resurrection of this flesh body with a new body in a in a kingdom above. He promised us eternal life where we could live with him, where we could be with him forever because he is the object of our worship. He is the object of our love, our adoration. Don't waste your time watching the wicked things of this world. Don't waste your time drinking in the delights of the flesh. But instead, drink in the delights of Jesus. Now, he gives us, the apostle Peter gives us a list of these delightful things that God wants us to take a hold of. Verse 5, for this very reason. What reason? That we have a knowledge of God, an intimate knowledge. We've learned who he is and what he did for us. For this reason, we've left our evil desires. And now for that reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Now, that's an interesting construction in the Greek. It's the same construction that is used to speak about the dance, where you take your dance partner by the hands, and together the two of you dance together. He's saying, take this faith that you have discovered. The faith is the rhema of God and the promises that God has made you. Take this wonderful faith, take a hold of this, and then hold hands and begin to dance with virtue or goodness. The essential meaning of the Greek word, however, is not a generalized goodness. It is rather fortitude, courage. In other words, Begin the dance with courage, with with endurance, with fortitude. You're not going to give way again to the powers of darkness. You have utterly renounced them. You have left them. You are now walking clean before God. Now, take your courage up and announce the fact that you belong to Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Now, Peter is saying this, knowing that his dance with fortitude and courage is taking place in the face of his soon coming execution by Nero, the Caesar of Rome. We don't face death yet in America, because we're Christians. We can face scorn. But Peter is saying, take the word of God that you've heard, take the confidence that you have in the knowledge of Jesus that has built up your faith. Grab a hold of the faith of Jesus Christ the doctrinal understandings of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and begin the dance of fortitude, of courage. And with that, move even deeper into the epignosis, the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, you're coming back now. And you're saying, I have to have more of Jesus. I've got to learn more about this wonderful God who atoned for my sin and removed the sin from my life. You see, I've talked to you a lot about holiness, about repentance, about living not in sin, but living clean before God. 
But it's not enough to stop there. We've got to then begin to be courageous in letting other people know, I'm not walking in sin before God. I'm clean. And you can be clean too. You don't have to continue dragging the dead body of the old man around with you. Read Romans 6. You don't have to drag that old dead carcass of sin around with you. You're free. You've been released by the blood of Jesus. Now, dig deeper into Jesus. And then add to that knowledge of Jesus. Complete self-control. I'll give you another word for that. Temperance. That used to be a very big issue when I was a boy. I signed the temperance pledge to be a teetotaler. But temperance means much more than not drinking alcohol. Temperance is a way of life. It's not giving way to undo lust for food. It's being clear in fasting and prayer to live a temperate life. You see that garment of clothing. You see those shoes. You see that that coat. But you already have three coats in the closet. You really don't need that new coat, but you want it because it's beautiful and it makes you look good. Be temperate. Say no. Live a temperate, self-denying lifestyle. It's a choice we make. It's how we spend our money. Instead of spending your money on what brings you pleasure, spend your money on what brings Jesus pleasure. Helping the poor. Furthering the work of the gospel. Loving other people. In other words, the Christian no longer lives his life for himself. He lives his life for others. Now, add to that patience, perseverance. It says, Dance now with perseverance. Don't be, how do I say this? Something that bothers me more than anything else just about with the National Prayer Chapel is drop-in people. And I've now begun saying to people, If you're going to be a drop-in when it's convenient, please don't come. You're not welcome. You're welcome if you come and the Spirit of God calls you and you decide to be serious about being present and you don't allow anything to prevent you from being present, then you're welcome. But if you're just a casual observer and you want to see what's going on and you, you want to drop in when it's convenient, please go somewhere else. That's not what the body of Christ is about. You don't come to church to observe a show, to hear some entertaining words, to hear some inspirational words, to to catch a little bit, and then off you go. Two men came to our prayer meeting recently, and they said to me, Oh, we'll be here Sunday. Is that okay? Yes, you can come Sunday. But remember, we're not a drop-in church. If you come, you come to stay. Oh, no problem. Did they show the next Sunday? No. Did they show the next Sunday? No. They're floaters. 
They're not serious about Jesus. They're serious about their own lust, their own lifestyle. I have no time for those kind of Christians. I want somebody who has perseverance, who's willing to come and say, I'm here. I'm not going to be leaving because some foolish word is spoken to me or some casual offense takes place here. I'm here. And I'm going to grow with you in Jesus. And I'm going to minister with you in Jesus. I'm going to be a part of revival. Perseverance. And then add to that perseverance, dance with godliness. What is godliness? Well, godliness is in the plural form here. Godliness is is living righteously in every respect. In other words, as you come into the knowledge of Jesus, there is a constant growing process. Now, I'm not talking about sinning and then recovering and sinning and recovering. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a man or a woman who has left their life of wickedness, has no known sin in their life. But now, add to that a growing devotion, piety to Jesus Christ. That he consumes your heart. He consumes your love. He consumes your money. He consumes everything about you. You are one with Jesus and you rejoice in that and joy floods your heart. Thanksgiving was a a wonderful day for me. As I shared with you, I was going to eat alone that day. I had invitations to go to a number of different places. I kindly thanked them and turned them down. Instead, I wanted to eat with Jesus, and he met me. I sat at a table by myself, a place opposite me with a chair, and I communed with Jesus. I was very aware of his presence being with me. Thanksgiving was my late wife's birthday. That's always a bite in me, a pinch. And then many people reached out to me in the afternoon with such love. Many of you, thank you. And I did, I did well all day Thanksgiving. Friday, I began to crash. I began to allow myself to look at all of my failures. I began to let myself look at my shallowness. I began to see how far I was from Jesus. And my heart was hurting. And by Friday night, I simply crashed and burned. I didn't sleep well Friday night. I tossed and turned and was awake many times through the night. But finally in prayer in the early hours of Saturday morning, Jesus came. Now, I don't know how to talk to you about this except to say, When Jesus comes to us in his mercy and his kindness, such incredible joy floods our soul. And in the early hours of Saturday morning, he came to me with such kindness and such mercy, assured me of his love and of his forgiveness, assured me of my place with him, and that he would carry me. Such blessing. When I got up Saturday morning, I was shouting praise. I was worshiping. I was was so ecstatic. I was so happy. And that's still with me. The presence of Jesus is so 
palpable, so real. I rejoice in that. It's godliness. I have a a book that my mother gave me many years ago. It's it's stories of a pastor being in very many different situations, hopeless situations. And then the story, real stories, recount these words, and then Jesus came, and everything changed. I just here today that some of you have crashed and burned like I did over Thanksgiving. And you need Jesus to come. Ask him to come. Pour your heart out to him. Whatever the fears are, whatever the concerns are, whatever the sickness is, whatever the lack is, Pour your heart out to Jesus and say, Jesus, please come. Please come and pick me up. Please carry me. His promise to me was, wait upon the Lord and the Lord will carry you through. And he's carrying me. I can't carry myself. I was crying out to him before this broadcast today, saying, Jesus, I know you'll carry me through this broadcast. And this afternoon, as I have appointments, order my steps, guide my path. I belong to you. Let your joy remain in my heart. Let your joy overflow. Let it overflow in love. The next step that Peter says, dance with brotherly kindness. Be kind one to another. Show mercy, not judgment, not condemnation, but words of encouragement, words of of affirmation, words calling a person to give everything to Jesus, to trust him. Brotherly kindness. This is not the Greek word agape. This is, this is brotherly affection. Share brotherly affection. Tell that brother, tell that sister, tell your mother, your father, tell friends, say to them, I really love you. I started doing that some years ago when I would be speaking with a brother or a sister that I cared about. I would tell them. And I would often end the conversation by saying, I love you. And at first there would be stunned silence. But now those precious ones respond. I love you too. Or now they'll even beat me to it and they'll say, Ray, I love you. Brotherly kindness goes so far in helping us to have the courage as we walk with Jesus in this wicked, wicked world. Express your love. Don't hold back your love from another person. Be kind, be generous with your love. And then add to that charity, love, agape. Pour yourself out. This is what Jesus did from day one in his ministry. He poured himself out for others. He was not there for himself. He was there for human hearts. I'm not here for me. I'm not on this broadcast for me. I'm here for you. 
We only live once, and then we face the judgment, and many of you are so casual in your living and so caught up in all of your business, all of your to-do lists. Lay them aside. Let your heart be filled with the love of God. And begin to pour yourself out for others. Forget about yourself. Concentrate on on the knowledge you have of Jesus, that he poured himself out for others. And find who you can pour yourself out for. For verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, God wants us to grow and grow and grow in these in these specific areas of, of fortitude, courage, of knowledge of who Jesus is, self, self-discipline, temperance, self-control, temperance, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, affection one for another, brotherly kindness, and to love. It's grieved my heart through the years to have people get angry at what I say and just call me garbage, cut me off, throw me away, disappear from my life. One man said, you're like my father. You're like my father. But then soon, he was gone out of my life because he didn't like the confrontation with his sin. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being of no use, ineffective, idle, and unproductive in your exact knowledge of who Jesus is. If anyone does not have this, he is nearsighted, he is blind, and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins, not just the guilt, but from the actual sins, they were removed. And now he's saying, grow in these graces of Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is. The descriptor here is who Jesus Christ is. Grow in Jesus and walk in love. My brother, my sister, we're out of time. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and and you'll see many things that will be helpful to you. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.